Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Paul Zlotnitsky is a serial entrepreneur and social activist who recently launched a tech startup called Our.Love. He is the father of three young adult children, and his middle daughter, Eleni, 23, is a recent thyroid cancer survivor who is completing her studies to become an RN. Today, during this interview, Tal is also honoring his sister-in-law, Patricia, who passed away in May from lung cancer after a two-year battle. Tal, thank you so much for coming on and telling your story. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. So I'll let you decide where to start, if you want to start with Patricia or Eleni, but take us back to the beginning. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, first I'm, uh, I'm speaking about it openly, uh, for the first time and and uh, and it's emotional i obviously want to respect and honor uh my daughter's privacy uh and so I, I will probably limit some some of what i talk about there in the case of patricia um she passed away in may um leaving a, a beautiful daughter uh, in her 20s uh who unfortunately five weeks earlier than that had lost her father to COVID. so she lost both her parents very quickly oh, and goodness. tragically but Patricia was an incredible human being and a good friend. And uh, I mean, maybe I would start with when I met Patricia, which was 22 years ago. She was the first member of my uh, wife's family to really embrace me and, um, and like me for who I was. And she found me funny and interesting and clever. And, um, um, and we got along famously from the very beginning. Uh, unfortunately, she was a smoker. And uh, even though she uh, attempted to quit, and in fact, she did quit for a couple of years at one time, she regrettably started smoking again. Part of that was uh, in an effort to control weight, which is a regrettable reason some people smoke. Um, and then she was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, um, actually in her brain. And um, from there till uh, the end, it was a pretty uh, intense couple of years. Um, I was very, one of the things I'm really, pleased about is that shortly after she was diagnosed, um, my wife was one of three, uh, one of four uh, girls, chose to uh, honor her sisters by taking them on a, uh, on a trip to Italy. The family is of, of Italian descent, but none of the girls other than uh, Maria had been to Italy. And uh, we loved Italy and she, uh, she really wanted to uh, experience it with her sisters. And, and they were able to have a wonderful trip. Um, and that was, you know, before Patricia really uh, started the treatment that very quickly um, changed the quality of her life. And um, yeah, so I'll answer your questions, but that's, that's probably a, a good place to start. That sounds like some really beautiful memories. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are lots of them with her. I mean, I, you know, the thing about Patricia was 
how uproariously she laughed. Um, she lived full-heartedly and, um, and she, she accomplished a lot. She, she, she had moments in her life that were difficult and challenging. She was a single mother, most of uh, her daughter's life. And, um, and she made us all proud. I mean, you know, like most people, she had, she had, uh, things about her that she would have liked to have improved. Um, but she loved it all her heart. You said Patricia was the first member of your wife's family to really embrace you. How soon after you started dating your wife, did you meet Patricia and in what setting? Was it a, a family dinner or how did that come about? We were in, in Washington, D.C. or the suburbs of, suburbs of D.C. and, and uh, my wife's family is, is out of Long Island, New York. And um, and I have two daughters or uh, I, I still do, of course, but my two daughters from my first marriage who I had full custody of. Um, and Maria had come into their lives and, and, um, and shortly after that became their mom. They didn't have a, a birth mother, uh, that was in their lives. And so the first time I met Patricia and the family, uh, was at a, I believe a lunch at, um, my sister-in-law Lori's house. And, uh, and famously I fell asleep on the couch and, uh, and some <laughs> members of the family, I, I fall asleep everywhere. I have sleep apnea. And, uh, basically, if, I, if I'm if, if I uh, don't consciously try not to fall asleep, I fall asleep. But, uh, I, I literally fell asleep on the couch, and of course, people uh, who you know didn't know me were wondering what type of a person coming in the first time is you know with his kids is going to fall asleep on, on the couch. Um, but Patricia found it hilarious, um, and uh, she never judged me for it. Um, you know, and from that point forward, you know, we were fast mm -hmm. friends. So Maria didn't warn them at all that you might fall asleep. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. How did you and your wife meet? So um, uh, we actually met on JDate, a Jewish uh, online dating service. And um, um, she was a uh, an attorney, uh, is still an attorney um, at the U uh, U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and um, and I was a businessman and uh, you know a single dad recently separated from from an ex wife that uh, had some issues and um, I didn't really feel like I I could date um, you know with two little girls uh, ages yeah. four and a half and and one and a half. Oh wow! And, they were uh, very and young. So, yeah. So, um, so, you know, online dating seemed like kind of a logical thing. And, um, we met, we fell in love and, uh, uh, and we raised a family together. Uh, we are, we're not together anymore. We uh, separated in, in 2021 and, uh, we're still very good friends and we care about each, care about each other deeply and, and, and our family's still strong and, and united. Um, but. You know, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll always be grateful to her and and, uh, and her family, my family, um, you know, for embracing me. And I, you know, and Patricia, I think, you know, beyond embracing me, also really embraced my girls. It sounds like Maria was the only mother your daughters ever had. She is. Um, you know, my, you know, my daughters. My oldest is is uh, 27, and. Uh, we're very proud of her. She's she's in the U.S. Navy, um, and and an electrician, and um, 
she's getting married this year to her, to her, uh, to her girlfriend in October. And, uh, Maria, you know, was, was a, a wonderful mother to her. And, and, um, you know, uh, Sophia needed a lot of support. There were some challenges around whether she'd be able to learn how to read or write. Um, and not only did she, she, she ended up going on and graduating from a four-year college and, uh, and then joining the Navy. Uh, and Maria deserves a lot of credit for that. And Eleni, our uh, 23-year-old, I mean, she obviously does not remember a life uh, prior to Maria. And, um, you know, very grateful for the, uh, the relationship they have with each other. And then, of course, our Maria and I had a, a lovely son together, our 19-year-old Jacob, who uh, was a freshman at Boston University. Well, I want to circle back to Eleni because she yeah. is mentioned in your bio and she is a recent thyroid cancer survivor. And although I did not have thyroid cancer, I actually had thyroid disease. So we might have had very similar treatments because I had radiation way, way, way back in the day. So tell us a little bit more about Eleni's experience and, and how it started and what happened. Yeah. So Eleni has had thyroid issues, uh, you know, for as long as I can remember. Uh, and she's been on uh, uh, thyroid medication of, and, and getting monitored because there was some concern, you know, from around the age of three or four. Um, that young. Could, wow. Could become something. Yeah. Um, wow. And, you know, you live with it for so long, you you start thinking of it as a just a, a chronic condition and, and the degree of anxiety over, you know, the visits to the doctor to see how it's doing. And is it, you know, is it, is, is, is it growing or is there any reason for concern became routinized? And, and um, you know, we, we actually had uh, a lot of experience with, with cancer, Maria and I, because Maria was diagnosed with breast cancer when Jake was one years old and it was stage three diagnosis, which she survived. And she's now, uh, wow. you know, Jacob is now 19. So she's going on uh, 18 years uh surviving cancer and uh thriving um so you know i i, I had firsthand experience uh, you know watching someone that I, I cared about deeply going through a difficult battle that included uh, double mastectomy radiation chemotherapy reconstruction surgery another reconstruction surgery another reconstruction surgery um you know medications that you know impacted her quality of life and um, do your daughters was, remember that time? Because I'm thinking about Elaney having experienced that and then, you know, fast forward all these years later, getting her own cancer diagnosis. So what do your kids remember about Maria's diagnosis? So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's interesting. I, I have not talked to them about it recently. Uh, I'm sure they vividly remember that, you know, Elaney, uh, would have been five or six years old and, and Maria's treatments were intense and it was about a year um, before she started resembling her old self um, and, and, and her energy really did not come back for several years after that. And she was, she was exhausted all the time. Um, Sophia, I'm sure remembers it. Um, you know, she would have been uh, seven or eight years old at the time. And I would imagine that what they remember most is um, that Maria did not feel sorry for herself um she was determined to live but just in case she couldn't she was busy remembering or memorializing who she was 
How did she do videos and audios and uh, putting together books? And we were blessed that we didn't have to use them to remember her, but the process itself was emotional. And um, gift. Yeah, yeah. Um, we actually ended up moving from Maryland, where we were living at the time, to uh, to Florida, uh, to Tampa Bay suburbs, because Maria's parents uh, lived there, and uh, Maria was concerned that she wouldn't be able to raise her kids, and and wanted me to have some support. Um, my own mother actually followed us, uh, followed us there. And so, uh, you know, we suddenly had both in-laws and, uh, and my wife, uh, my wife's parents and, and my mom, uh, a mile away. Um, and you know, that was, it had its ups, it had, it had its <laughs> but, but the good news is, you know, uh, um, you know, she survived and, uh, you know, we lived in Tampa Bay for about a decade and we moved back to Maryland. I actually recently, uh, uh, back in Tampa Bay for, for about a year. But yeah, um, I mean, I, I would say that, you know, what I learned um, really watching Maria, which probably prepared me for Elaine and Patricia, is that the human mind has a very difficult time wrapping wrapping itself around the concept of its own demise. We, we can't oh, imagine yeah. an existence other than the one we've got. And so yeah. it, it, there is almost a degree of this can't be. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think uh, we experienced that some with Patricia, um, you know, there were a few moments of some seeming improvement in, in her scans, which everyone celebrated, but I think deep down, we all knew, of course, a, you know, a stage four, lung cancer diagnosis that had spread to the brain um, was was a diagnosis that was going to end her life. The question was whether, you know, whether she'd survive for any significant length of time and what the quality of her life would be. And, um, you know, she, she, her quality of life suffered immensely at the very beginning. Um, some of the medication that she was on uh, or she just simply couldn't handle. Um, and uh, in fact, very early on in her treatment, we thought we were gonna lose her right away. Um, she was basically wheelchair bound, uh, went from a vibrant you know, woman in her early 50s uh, to being wheelchair bound. Fortunately, they were able to you know, reset her, her treatment um, and, and she was able to recover mobility um, and, and lost other things, right? So, uh, you know, the, the thing that was most difficult for her, because she was a very proud, very accomplished woman, very independent, was losing her ability to be clear headed. Mm -hmm. um, she was actually helping me uh, with my startup. And she came back to me a few days afterwards. And she said, I just can't concentrate. And I'm sure that was incredibly difficult for her. Um, yeah. I, I, I am very glad that, you know, all of us, me, my daughters, my son, um, were able to say goodbye. And um, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say that all uh, three daughters, uh, her, her sisters, Maria, uh, the oldest sister, um, um, Melissa, and Lori, the youngest, were with their sister through thick and thin.
And any of us would be deeply fortunate to be that loved, you know, at a moment in our lives when we're so vulnerable. Yeah. So going what you went through with Maria and, and then with your sister-in-law, Patricia, how did you feel when you found out Eleni had cancer? You know, initially it's a surreal sense of detachment. It's a, it can't be, um, she's so young, um, then anger, um, then determination. And, uh, you know, we were told very early that, you know, her prognosis was good, that in all probability that surgery alone and then monitoring and continued medication, um, would in all probability, um, restore her to health. Um, she was concerned, of course, as, as, as a young woman who intends to raise a family at some future point about being able to, uh, you know, protect her ability to conceive. Yeah. And that was a major concern for her. Um, and you know, I couldn't even wrap my mind around it. And, <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure that, uh, her mom, Maria was, was a, a much, uh, was, was a closer, uh, ally about that, uh, than I was, but, um, you know, when you see your child sick, um, the degree of helplessness that you feel, especially someone like me, who's, who's, uh, you know, I've been someone that fixes things my whole life. Um, you know, people that know me joke that, um, what I do is I add value. <laughs> I look to add value. And, um, you know, when you're dealing with, with, a person that you love, uh, who needs to be cared for by someone whose expertise is beyond yours. Uh, and you need to rely on other people. You simply need to rely on them. You need to rely on their judgment. You need to rely on their professionalism, their expertise. It's really difficult when it's your child. Yeah. Um, but you know, the good news is, um, you know, the surgery went uh, very well um, and she's been recovering beautifully. And, um, you know, she went back to her uh, register to her program to become a registered nurse and she's graduating in three weeks. Oh, so I'm very proud of her. And, and I'll tell you throughout her treatment, um, she, she did a sprout. She's already a practical nurse. She, she received that degree a couple of years ago. Um, and there's a massive, uh, nursing shortage in this country, as I'm sure you know. Yeah. And uh, as a result of that, she was drawn in all sorts of opportunities to to do some good, including she actually gave the vaccine uh, shots at, at a center uh, for months. I'm, I'm enormously proud of her. I'm enormously proud of all of my children, but, uh, you know, to fight it and, and, um, and, persevere and continue to stay focused on helping others, which is something that she's done throughout her life from, from uh, the time that she was a 12 year old uh, <laughs> who used her bat mitzvah money to build a playground in an orphanage in Haiti. Really? Yeah. That's fascinating. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then in, you know, while she was uh, in, uh, in her nursing program, 
she spent a full year in an inner city school in Baltimore um, as a as a, a nurse or an aide, a nurse, essentially in uh, in class nurse, uh, aiding children with uh, uh, a range of disabilities, and in, in, you know, uh, in in classes where they're essentially being taught life skills, not not academics. So, you know, I was proud of her. I knew she was a fighter. And um, and again, the prognosis was, you know, all things considered, I mean, no cancer prognosis is, is easy, but it was a cancer prognosis that, you know, we were assured that if you're gonna get cancer, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the more benign uh, cancers to get. Um, and, you know, within months, it's almost as if, you know, the world has resumed its normalcy, right? She, she went back to school, she ended up moving to Florida. So she's here in Tampa Bay as well. Actually just bought her, her first house with her boyfriend, I'm very proud of them. And, um, and she's doing great. That's so good to hear. I wanna circle back to something about her treatment and then ask about mm -hmm. all your kids. You mentioned she had surgery and she was very worried about her ability to conceive. Is that because they were discussing radiation? And did she or, or did she not? Yeah, they 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 were not sure what what she'd need. Obviously, uh, until you go in, it's never never a certainty. In fact, uh, our experience with that 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 had me very anxious until after the surgery when we got a confirmation that it had in fact been. Um, contained and and there's no indication or concern that it spread is that maria's original diagnosis was in situ uh and in, in one breast and um you know and and we were told that this would be you know just a bump in the road she actually chose to have a bilateral mastectomy and and it's a good thing she did because as it turned out, she had much more aggressive cancer. She had two kinds of cancer in her breast. It had already spread through her lymph nodes. Um, they had to, they would have, she would have woken up to a double mastectomy, if she, even if she had gone in there thinking that she wasn't. Yeah. Um, and the diagnosis is actually uh, stage 3B. So a very aggressive diagnosis, which was surreal, right? I mean, she woke up. Uh, from surgery to be given some potentially extraordinarily scary news. Yeah, she um, thought she was being very proactive and getting in front right. of it. That's right. That's right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So in the case of Elaine, I mean, I think, you know, the, the good news was that we were given high degree of confidence going in that she didn't have to worry about that. Uh, but there was the possibility of radiation and radiation obviously has potential implications on on a range of uh, female reproductive issues. But fortunately, as, as of now, knock on wood, she's still going and, and getting seen every six months. Uh, everything is, is going well and we expect it to continue to go well. And I look forward to holding uh, my grandchildren from her at some point uh, in the future. <laughs> Not too soon though. Yeah, <laughs> Not too soon. <laughs> Are your kids really close? And if so, how did this impact them again sort of they went through this with their mom they went through this yeah. with their aunt and now their sister so my two daughters i'm you know my, my my children are close they're getting closer uh you know as as you age the difference between a six-year-old and a 12-year-old 
becomes less pronounced when you're, you know, 18 and 23 uh, or 19 and 23. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm really honored uh, as a parent to see them really being there for each other. And I, and I hope that continues and I'm sure it will. My daughters have been very close, best friends. Oh. And, uh, you know, they're, they're there for each other. They have been there for each other. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to speak for, for Sophia or Jacob, um, in terms of how, how it felt to, uh, to hear about their sister's diagnosis. I mean, we were obviously, you know, proverbially knee deep in, in the Patricia situation. Right. And that seemed more acute. Uh, and so, you know, the, there was a lot of, you know, tamping down concerns uh, by Lainey and Maria and the doctors. I actually feared jinxing. Uh, I know that's, you know, silly. And of course, ultimately, you know, whatever the cancer is, it is. But I refuse to uh, really engage in, oh, it's going to be fine. It's just this. It's just that. I, you know, I've been, I've been to that movie, you know, with Maria. Oh, so, so wait, uh, you refuse to be I, the positive. I, I, it's not, I, I refuse to say there would be nothing. I, I just, Got you know, I, I did, I simply said, you know what, it, it, we're going to, we're, we're, we're praying and we're hoping that it's, a as, as we're told and, and we'll see. And, you know, I, on some level, I think I was preparing myself for the possibility that, uh, that it would be, uh, some sort of a setback, um, and celebrating that it wasn't and, and. You know, and I think for uh, from all three of my children, I mean, I think the you know obviously Lainey living it firsthand, but but you know, her brother and her sister were very supportive and are very supportive. And um, I mean, you know, I don't know what more you can ask for as a parent than than knowing your kids have each other's backs. Oh yeah, yeah. How do you look at your life differently now than? let's say before cancer really came into it. So mm. before Maria was ever diagnosed. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I was in my, in my late twenties or early thirties. Um, and, um, you know, you feel invincible and, and untouchable and, and life seems infinite in length. Um, and on some levels that actually makes you, less likely to recognize how fortunate you are because you're you're so busy looking ahead and i was starting companies and 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 focusing on whatever i needed to focus on at the time which oftentimes was a combination of things i was an, an active social activist father a husband and a ceo um and i often fail to stop and um and just appreciate the moment right um you know of late i think i think i have a greater appreciation for a sentiment that i i love which is that the journey is the destination um oh totally agree so you talked about how you handled your life and your the roles you played before maria's diagnosis did anything change after that because you are still an entrepreneur you said you're on your sixth company yeah. But has your perspective changed at all now that you've gone through not one, not two, but three different kinds of cancer with very close family members? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'd love to say that that it did. But the reality is the human mind refuses to dwell 
uh, at least if you're fortunate and healthy, it's, it's probably not very good for your ability to function, to be stuck on fear or misery or sadness. Uh, and I'm by my nature, someone that uh, is an optimist. So uh, even with Maria's diagnosis, even when it was pretty bad, I think in hindsight, my optimism was <laughs> not really in line with the diagnosis, which was pretty severe. But I simply couldn't see the possibility that she wouldn't survive it. And I really refused to go there in my own mind, uh, even as we did things such as move from you know Maryland to Florida, just in case. I refuse to really dwell on that. And, you know, Patricia is, is, is the first person in, in my immediate life. Uh, obviously, I've, I've seen other people pass. I had a very good friend uh, who, who passed from uh, colon cancer uh, a few years ago. But this was, you know, in my immediate family, Patricia was the first one to, to not be able to survive it. Um, so, I mean, I think I, I think I dealt with it um, the way most people deal with it, right? There are moments where you're really, really in it, uh, maybe because, you know, you're picking up your uh, your wife or your husband from, from chemotherapy and you know that we need to get home as quickly as possible before you start feeling sick. Uh, and you know that, you know, once, once the sickness hits, it's going to be a couple of days where they're not able to function. And, um, you know, for me, it was in Maria, the... the Dealing with Maria was especially difficult for me because my previous marriage was was to someone that had substance abuse issues. And so there were instances where she wasn't functional. She wasn't able right. to get out of bed, but it would, it would be for, you know, for a totally different reason. And so I remember when that was the case, my, my daughters are very young, seeking to create a sense of normalcy for my daughters so that they wouldn't be as concerned as, frankly, they should have been, but they were so young and didn't understand uh, mm -hmm. that this was going on. To experience it again with Maria just a few years later. And through and no fault of her own. Through no fault of her own at all. Um, it's only now in hindsight that I, I, I realize I, I don't know how I kept it together. I don't know how she kept it together. Uh, in her case, you know, uh, she really rolled up her sleeves. You know, she's she's a, a brilliant attorney, and so she does research very well. So she researched what type of holistic therapies might, if nothing else, give her the feeling that she's uh, in control of something. And, uh, and to this day, she's still uh, a big believer in holistic medicine. And some of the interesting things that transpired over the years was some of the things that she experimented with some some of the uh, you know far east uh, medications. Some of them were root based. Um, they've proven to actually be effective, therapeutically effective. So she felt you know a huge sense of accomplishment that she had helped her own case and possibly saved her own life. Yeah. Um, you know, for 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 me, I, you know, I think it was denial uh, followed by staying very very busy. You know, for my son in his first year of life, you know, having a uh, sick mother, I'm, I'm glad he doesn't remember it. But I do remember that, uh, you know, usually when, when babies wake up in the middle of the night, they call for their mom. I mean, in most cases, right? 
But in our case, Jacob knew that I'd be the one responding, mm-hmm. you know, in the early years. Now, you know, obviously, you know, he has a great relationship with his mom. And, and you know, in time, she was she more than made up for not getting up to him uh, as often. She she still did. Trust me, she refused to, to feel sorry for herself. And as soon as she was able to do anything uh, for her kids, she did. And her family uh, and her sisters. I mean, it was always, a, you know, the, the four Nicolini girls were always very close. Nicolini? I love that. Yeah, yeah. Nicolini. That's- so, Tal, if you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., very curious what your answer is going to be with your experience and also just as an entrepreneur. What would it be and why? Hmm. So, you know, I think the saddest part about our healthcare system is it is not a healthcare system. It is a sick care system. We are not nearly as focused on wellness or prevention as I think we need to be. We also aren't focused on ways that we can improve the quality of our life and our health that don't require a lot of resources and, uh, and are not about doctors. Um, it's amazing how, how much impact more love can have on our lives and on our health because the science of love is actually quite profound. People who are in good, strong relationships uh, and understand how to love properly are healthier. Are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire question? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> beach, desert, or mountains? Definitely the beach. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Hmm. I like them all. Um, I'm going to say Beach Boys. What is one word that best describes you? Resilient. And before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Hmm. Well, I mean, I'd like to say it would be I Did It My Way by Frank Sinatra. But I'm not <laughs> sure that that's true. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, there are a lot of, you know, I, I listen to music all the time and I'm a huge fan of uh, international music. And I, I love hearing how different cultures express themselves through music. Um, so I could think of a hundred songs probably, but off the top of my head, I can't think of any names. So I would, <laughs> I would stick with that one. Yeah. Well, what about the last meal you want to eat? Mm. Well, I'm an Israeli, uh, an Israeli American. And so, you know, I'm a big fan of hummus and, uh, and the Mediterranean diet. So I would say I would, I would love to sit with a plate of shawarma, which is oftentimes made out of chicken uh, or turkey uh, with some spices and a, a nice Israeli salad and, and some hummus and some pitas. That, that would definitely uh, hit the spot. That is way too healthy. <laughs> For your last meal. <laughs> what about the last person or people you want to see? So, um, you know, I guess metaphysically, I'd want to be able to, to experience my parents. They're both still alive, and I'm, I'm deeply grateful for that my children, uh, my significant other, Susan, um, and some dear, dear friends. But ultimately, you know, having my three children and their significant others, you know, presumably it's many, many years in the future. So maybe my grandchildren and maybe their significant others, right? Um, just being surrounded by the, the ones you love the most that have had the greatest impact in your life. I'd love for Maria to be there as well. 
she's always going to be a real significant part of my life and, uh, and a dear, dear friend and someone that I love. Um, so all of those people. And hopefully Patricia would be there somehow. What about the last words you will speak? I think I would speak them um, to God. And I think I would say, I hope I made you proud. You know, one of my goals in my life um, is to have an impact. You know, I, I hope that that whenever it is my time to go and, and, and I'm um, thinking about my goodbyes that I would I would look back and and, and feel that I, I lived a life worth living. Aside from cancer, you what is one resource that you would recommend specifically for cancer patients and caregivers? And uh, do please tell people how they can get in touch with you and also your company. So the greatest resource I could recommend would be uh, meditations, um, and it's accessible to everyone, and it's accessible uh, oftentimes inexpensively or free. Is there a particular um, so, app you like? Well, as as, it, as a matter of fact, Hour.Love is going to have fantastic meditations on it from uh, a brilliant meditation leader, Brian Israel, a dear friend of mine. Uh, and um, I would tell you that generally speaking, if you don't know how to meditate, it feels daunting. And uh, oftentimes people, as they start, wonder if they're doing it quote unquote right. Uh, I think that for people who are going through cancer and are caring for people who are dealing with cancer, the blessing of meditations is it is an opportunity to feel and uh, digest in ways uh, that oftentimes um, don't seem accessible. Tal, thank you so much for coming on today and not only sharing your experience as a caregiver, but also sharing Maria's story and Eleni's story and Patricia's story. I really appreciate you telling them today. Thank you for having me. It's been, it's been an honor. And I hope, and I hope I honored them. You did. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.